ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Welcome to the Golf Central Podcast presented by TaylorMade and the all-new Sim Driver. The driver head was in need of a drastic change in order to provide more performance, so TaylorMade changed the shape altogether with their new Sim Driver, which allowed them to make it fast and forgiving where every golfer needs it, in the downswing. The pros love the new shape, but the biggest reason TaylorMade changed the shape was to help you into a better golfer. Check out TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information on the all-new Sim family. Lav! We have live golf. I'm sitting. We're covering golf tournaments. We're talking about golf. I want to talk eight irons. I want to talk birdies. I want to talk bogeys. You were at the Corn Ferry Tour event this week. I'm at Colonial Charles Schwab Challenge, the first event back in 91 days, straight off the top. Give me your thoughts. First of all, it's just great to be covering uh, tournament golf again. It's it's great to be talking to players, even if we are in a socially distanced manner. We're going to get into that and in, in kind of the the new reality that, that we have as reporters talking to these Wait a minute, you talk players. To players? I did talk to players in person. Aww. I talked to them wow. in person. Yeah, we're going to have to get into that. Vastly different than mine, yes. Um, but but overall, I mean, this is this is what we love to do, Rex. We love to we love to be on the road. We love to tell these stories for for the readers and and now on this podcast for for the listeners at home. I'm I'm thrilled to be able to do it. I had a great first three days uh, at the Corn Ferry Challenge, home for a couple of days, and then driving back up to Jacksonville. Uh, and TBC Sawgrass, the Dive Valley course there for the final round. Look forward to get at, getting at it. But what's what's been your experience like uh, what, three or four days now into, into your experience at Colonial? And you know I normally don't give you plugs. I'm not very good at that. I, I barely like to follow you on Twitter if I'm being honest about it. However, I have to say you, you wrote some really good stuff this week. I mean, very moving, very emotional story. Camilla Bajekas, I suggest everyone go to GolfChannel.com and check that out. And you're right. It's what we love to do. We love to come and talk about the stories of golf, whether that's winning tournaments or it's dealing with things off the golf course. I will say, walking out on the golf course at 6.50 yesterday morning, watching Ryan Palmer hit that first tee shot in 91 days, it was a little surreal. I mean, we'll talk about the fans not being on the golf course, and that's certainly part of the narrative. However, when you think that we spent three months thinking of this day, planning for this day, trying to figure out exactly what this day was going to look like, I was actually surprised, pleasantly surprised, that even there were no fans, even though it, it did feel, feel strange, even though we've had to go through all these protocols, what we're going to talk about, this was something approaching normal, which is exactly, I think, what we needed. 
What what was your travel experience like? I was I just hopped in I just hopped in the car and drove you know, roughly two hours up to TBC Sawgrass. You hopped on a plane for the first time since the WGC Mexico and in, in late February. What was that experience like? Were you apprehensive at all? Um, and then just kind of what was the first three days like at Colonial as well? Uh, not apprehensive, uh, as you know. Uh, I'm I'm very loyal to one airline. I won't name the airline, and for whatever reason, they hello they Delta. Don't ha- hello Delta. Uh, they don't have a full slate of schedules, which I understand. Look, it's difficult times. We all have to make adjustments. So I had to fly another airline. Not going to name that airline either. Hello, American. Uh, I did not even know. Group Group Seventeen. Who now knew there was group eight 17. groups? Like I, I got my boarding card, and I'm thinking, oh my! How do you board <laughs> eight groups in? Are there enough seats on the plane? Uh, no, it was fine. It was in the plane was full and. Uh, you wear your mask and uh, there's nowhere to social distance when you're sitting in a chair, which was kind of odd. But no, I thought it went well. Probably the strangest thing was getting to the golf course and seeing all the protocols that were in shape. You talk about getting back to doing something we love. I mean, it it, it was close to that, but it wasn't. I mean, we couldn't go on the range and talk to players. Was it, was it, mean, a, shut, was it a shuttle bus situation? Uh, getting to the sh- golf course is a shuttle bus situation. We park at the stadium at TCU, which, by the way, is a gorgeous stadium. Hmm. Don't know why I would ever come here for a football game, but if you ever wanted to, that that seems like a good one to come to. Uh, the shuttle bus situation, and it, look, I've, I've covered this tournament quite a few times, and so there was an ease of travel. I kind of had an idea of where to stay, where to go. However, once you get on property, you watch how things work on the range. Like PGA Tour players can't interact with equipment reps, for example, and you think that's no big deal. Well, it is a big deal if you're an equipment rep and you're used to having hands-on ex- exposure to these players and you can walk them through the processes of exactly how they want their clubs there's now a sort of a portal between the two they they don't have any contact at all with each other so all of these little things added up and I thought what's what's been interesting in and I do want to get your thoughts on this is it, it hasn't been perfect and I think there have been reports about maybe players caddies swing coaches aren't taking it as seriously as they should. I will say, not in defense, but just to point out, these are all learned behaviors. And you can't expect 148 players and 148 caddies and everyone else involved to suddenly change what they've always done in one day. This is going to take a minute. Yeah, and I saw there was an email, right, that was sent out to, to swing coaches on the PGA Tour reminding them they're not supposed to be within six feet of their player. They're not supposed to be putting their paws, their, their, their dirty, grimy paws all over these players to help them with their <laughs> shoulder turn or make sure they're firing through the ball properly. They're supposed to be verbalizing those commands and staying in a socially distanced manner. So I saw they did send out that email back, back on the corn Ferry tour. I mean, these, these players are largely traveling without an entourage. They're not famous enough to have a whole team around them. Not that they could have one in this new environment anyway, just, you know, they're, they're designated to have one person. And I, I don't think I saw a single swing coach out on the range, which was a little bit bizarre. But, but you know, when I went out for the practice round, I just kind of wanted to see what the environment was going to be like. And, and guys were, you know, they're, they're bumping elbows, they're, they're bumping fists, they're, they're talking to each other. Some were close to others, but I, I thought for the most part, it was fine. What I was very curious to see, and I walked the entire 18 holes because I really wanted to see how each group was approaching this. I wanted to see if the caddies and players were wiping down flag sticks as they were instructed. That was and? like one of the biggest things they were supposed to do is wipe and? down the flag stick. I did not see a single one do not it. One. Not a single I did not see one. one 
wiped on the flag stick. Everyone's, of course, putting their hand in the cup. They have uh, hand sanitizer stations after every single hole. If you cannot miss them, they are, they're like these little tripods that have three little dispensers. They're on every single tee. I did not see a single player after playing a hole go to one of those. So if you're not uh, wiping not. on flag sticks and you're not sanitizing your hands after dunking your hand into the cup uh, to retrieve your ball after every hole, to me, it just seems like a, a matter of time before something crops up. But this is this is what we've been saying for for weeks now, Rex. I, I think you have to commend the PGA Tour. They thought of everything. They have 37 pages of documents in every little situation that you could run into throughout the course of a, of a tournament round and even a, a pre-tournament round. But it's still up to the players and the caddies to be responsible and do the right thing. And from what I saw over the first three days of the Corn Ferry Tour, um, not everyone's doing the right thing. No, no. And, and look, I saw the same thing yesterday and, and all level of players from, from Roy McIlroy and his caddy all the way down. And I, I, again, these are learned behaviors. The one, the other thing that stood out to me is the tour would like the player to grab the club themselves and put the club back into the club themselves, into the bag themselves. They, they're not doing that. That's not what they do. They may, they pull the club, but they, can, they down, always pull the club, but then they, hand they the always hand it back. You always do the always. no look hand back. Oh yeah. It's just here. Take this. Is the idea uh, <laughs> clean it and, and <laughs> clean it? Get it out of my hands. Uh, yes, that it, it's one of the things that stood out to me. I didn't see anyone clean a flag stick. And look, you you brought up the idea. The tour is exhaustive in what they tried to do this week. And next week is the litmus test. Like if we sit down and we talk about it, got the numbers the other night from the tour. Amazing. Um, almost fifteen hundred tests were given, and just four positive tests. All on your tour. All on the Corn Ferry tour. They're not and, my tour. And, for, and first of all, they were at-home tests, which is a, a very, this is a very important it. distinction. We don't know what the caddies and the players have been doing for the last three months. Those, those That one player who was going to be in a Monday qualifier and those three caddies uh, were at home and tested positive and therefore did not make the trip. No in-market positive test, which is worth Yes, there was out. no on-site positive test, which is a huge distinction. But that is also what you would expect. You would expect if they were screening themselves for the week prior to the tournament round, and got that negative test, you would expect that when they showed up on site that they would also test negative. The, the key is going to be what weeks two through four look like. Yeah. Once you travel, yes. once you spend time in and apparently outside this bubble, wh what are the next three weeks going to look like? I think that's a better determinant than, than no on-site test this week, which is, I mean, it's still, it's still noteworthy, um, but, but let's check back in a couple of weeks for some more definitive data. And look, I, I talked about learned behavior and one of the highly recommended things that the tour has tried to convince players caddies officials who are inside this bubble don't go out to dinner do room service stay in your hotel i, I can i can tell you personally from experience they're not doing that they're going out yeah. to dinner and, and look it's these are things that the tour can suggest you can't lock someone in a room i mean we're seeing that now with the nba i mean players are pushing back because they don't want to be sequestered they don't want to be quarantined they want to play golf but no, you're not going to tell me where I can go, where I can eat and where I can't eat. That's not going to happen. And you're absolutely right. And I think it's, it's also interesting, Rex. So this is, we're, we're recording this on Friday. Obviously the 36 hole cuts coming. Uh, players are going to want to hop on that charter on, on Monday morning to, to head to Hilton Head. It seems like a vast majority of players, they want to stay in this bubble, right? They want to at least play two or three weeks in a row and just kind of be part of the traveling circus. What happens now when a player misses the cut? I mean, is he just going to sit in his hotel room sequestered for the next 48 hours before he hops on that flight? Absolutely not. Yeah. He's probably going to go yeah. on site at Colonial and, and get some practice in. 
but then you're expecting him to just go right back to his hotel room and, and not mingle with the rest of society and 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 pass the time that way. There's there's no chance. Of course they're going to be out and about. And in the players' defense, uh, I spent a good 20 minutes on the first tee yesterday morning talking with the commissioner Jay Monahan and just a casual conversation. Were you six I feet away? Out, we were not. And and look, I, I didn't even think about it until after. Jay's the fact. in the bubble. And he is in the bubble. And I think that's a perfect example. And I'm not trying to throw Jay or anyone else under the bus here. This is natural behavior that when you walk up and you, you talk to someone, I don't know how many times I have seen the stick your hand out for the traditional handshake and then you pull it back like you're trying to fool somebody. Yep, just like that. Psych. Just like the psych, <laughs> that ain't going to happen. And it's part of the new reality. Uh, I, I did want to move on real quick. It, we, we touched on the idea of no fans and it probably wasn't that big of a deal at your event, at the Corn Fairy Tour event, simply because don't get many fans at those events. And I can honestly say for the better part of yesterday morning, I didn't feel like it was a huge deal here simply because early Thursday mornings on, at tour events don't draw a lot of fans unless Tiger Woods is in that 6.40 p.m. or AMT time. I will say the one thing that pointed that did stand out to me is walking with Phil Mickelson yesterday. Fans, his interaction with them, how he's beloved as part of his DNA. And I think it sapped him of his energy walking down fairways. I think he birdied 18 Three people clapped. One of those people was his swing coach, Andrew Getson. I mean, and he kind of tipped his hat. He birdied one. He'd started on 10. Nobody clapped. He still tipped his hat. He doesn't know how to deal with this. And I think we're going to see it more as the week progresses, certainly here at Colonial, where by Sunday afternoon, I think that's when we'll look back and be like, yeah, this is tough without fans, man. Yeah, we see we see some players who are kind of oblivious to it, and and they'll stay in their little bubble and and just keep going. I mean, Harold Ronald the third is a perfect example that he probably doesn't have a a loyal legion of fans who to get him fired up before every single round. But you look at a you look at a Rory, you look at a Kepka, you look at a Phil guys who are used to feeding off of that energy. Um, they're they're going to need to find uh, motivation another way in order to get the the juices flowing for for a tournament round. But but you're exactly right, Rex. And you know maybe it's because I'm a little um, my, 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 my thoughts are a little bit skewed just because I've covered more college events or I've covered more corn fairy events than, than, than probably a lot of people on, on Twitter, or even some in the golf media. I'm, I'm used to not, I'm used to not seeing fans on the, on the golf course, or at least, or at least not many. Um, and so that experience doesn't really change. I'm, I'm curious to see, um, in the final round when, when the moments get a little tense, I mean, yes, you, you do have this mega season now on the corn fairy tour, but, but you still have the potential for a win to change a guy's life um, or at least set him up for, for a better situation to chase his tour card over the next 12 to, to 16 months. So I'm curious to see how that, how that plays out. And, and if, and if the nerves are a little bit more or less, they don't have TV cameras either. So that's, that's another dynamic that they're going to have to deal with. Um, I, I think, I think just, just seeing some of the highlights um, I didn't, I didn't catch the, the full coverage yesterday, um, but these guys are still going to be able and, and capable of producing incredible feats um, on the golf course. They can still, you know, break records and they can still play great and they can still win scoring titles and, and all of that. Um, but the moments just aren't going to feel as special without fans. I, I think that's, I think that's what it comes down to. You can still have a great competition. You can still have um, guys doing amazing things, but the moments just won't feel as great if you don't have fans to, to accompany them while they're while they're accomplishing these great feats i think that's what it comes down to well and i hate being the prisoner in the moment on this and i, I was going to actually try to steer clear but it's, it's worth addressing because it has come up this week the idea that i think everyone is in agreement that playing colonial without fans or hilton head and we can go down the list travelers whatever the case may be okay 
If that's the only way we can get back to work, let's do that. The Ryder Cup has come up. We've had this discussion. I don't think either. I think we're both on the same page. You should not play the Ryder Cup without fans. And I only say this story to transition to where I wanted to go next, which is how it's the interaction with the media has changed, both with us and the on-air TV product. There was a moment, and we're having to do all the interviews here via Zoom calls, pretty much, just like you and I are doing. Yeah, give us, give us, give us. Yes, the this is give us the, the 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 blow by blow. Let's say let's say John Rahm's coming in at nine a.m. on a Tuesday or Wednesday. What's the process? Well, no, you're stepping on my story, so I, I wanted to stay on on Ryder Cup here real quick. So we're having this Zoom call, and, and look, the commissioner asked me how everything was going, and I said it's, it's going great. You know, we're dealing with what we are. However, you're lying. We are we are middle aged to old men dealing with new technology. So there is always going to be issues. Let's be honest. It took us 20 minutes to get this right. Yeah, our podcast right now, right? So it's always going to take some time when you're dealing with someone of my my end. Yeah, when you're dealing with the 53-year-old, by the way, I appreciate your happy birthday message this week. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, When you're dealing with someone on our end. However, there there was just a priceless moment during this Zoom call with Brooks Kepka the other day, and it came up, should we play the Ryder Cup without fans? Brooks has been very, very adamant that no, and just like Rory, no. Uh, and he was asked a follow-up that should players consider boycotting the Ryder Cup if they play it without fans? Brooks's response was yes. Asked for a further answer, he said, well, the motivations for each player are going to be different. The follow-up question to that was, is this about money? Brooks Kepka went to the Johnny Manziel money, you know, fingers and thumbs together, yeah, sign in the air. Rub. And as he went to say his answer, the audio cut out, and you've never heard a room of journalists scream so loud that, no, not now. What's he saying? Do you think, you think that was hijinks on the tourist part? Pulling the plug? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm, not, uh, yeah I'm not that much of a conspiracy theorist. But to, to, get, back to, <laughs> to get back to your point, uh, the new normal for the media, and, and no one cares about the media. I mean, this is a first world problem, and, and I think we'll work our way People through it. People do care about the media, Rick. This is how, this is how they learn they? about these players. Of course. Uh, okay. Then I will, I will say this. No, the process is not working great. And simply because what you're, you're trying to do is you're trying to have this interaction with players. And, and you know it as well as I do, that if you have a question in mind, you always listen to the answer and you try to come up with a follow-up question. And there's almost always a follow-up question, right? And in Brooks's case, the story I just told was, yes, everybody has their different motivations. Well, the follow-up is, it's money, isn't it? Well, of course it's money. They, they, they know that they want to play the Ryder Cup for money. We all know that. In this situation, when you're on a video conference call, or when you're even worse, if the player's not put on the video conference call, you're simply typing in your question so a media official can ask them. You're that, typing your question? Yes. You're, you're sending uh, the media official your question. And for example, I will send you the question that I asked, Phil Mickelson being the perfect example yesterday. And you and I both know Phil that, look, he's great with the fans and he's very, very good with the media. However, you got to work a little bit to get him to where you want him to go, which is what I just addressed, that you feed off the crowd so much. And I know you're happy to be back here playing, but how did that, if at all, impact your play? That was my question, trying to be a little nuanced there. The question that got translated through the media official was, what was it like without fans? Well, Phil didn't give a very good answer because it's not a very good question. Hmm. So you're not just saying I Rex Hoggard have a question and then you're 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 able to ask Phil via video conference. No, the only players that were put on video conference yesterday were the to the two leaders, Harold Vaughner and Justin Rose. And then everything else had to be filtered through you there's a there's an app that you filter the questions to the tour media official and they ask and then it comes back on a transcript. Oh dear. 
So, and, and then, look, this is not, I mean, my stories are usually aren't very good, but if you read my stories yesterday, you probably thought to yourself, wow, Rex isn't asking very good questions. I normally don't, but yesterday was worse than normal. And if you're wondering why, that's why, and it's going to take some time to work it out. Well, that's a, well, isn't that a problem for, for readers and, and golf lovers that they're kind of left in the dark here? Uh, well, it's not a good I, thing. I, I'm, I'm assuming Rex, and, and you can back me up. You're, you're out there. You're talking to PGA Tour media officials. I'm assuming this is a short-term issue. I'm assuming yes. that this is, you know, out of an abundance of caution for the very first event back. They want to have, you know, this thing strapped down as tight as possible. And then once you get to Hilton Head and you get to Travelers and you do Rocket Mortgage, maybe you can start loosening that belt a little bit more because, I mean, Memorial is, what, five weeks away now? And you're going to have 20% capacity of fans. If you have 20% capacity of fans, that's roughly 8,000 fans on site. You can't have the situation where you're, you're asking it via non-video conference and, and getting an answer back. There has to be some sort of setup that you can have interaction with players. Otherwise, this there's going to be some kind of revolt. Uh, no, I think you're right. Abundance of caution is a good way to put it. And look, they have to be. I don't even, like this isn't even worth, you know, we, we talk about what battles we should fight. I don't even feel like we should because look, we, we don't know how this is going to play out. And I understand the tour's motivation that the last thing they want is a player to test positive for COVID-19 and then to be traced back to a media member. That's a bad at look. The first, at the first event, that'd be horrific. Yes. It's a bad look for the media. It's a bad look for the tour. Nobody wants that. So I, you certainly understand it. And it, it's simply, this is only to point out that what we're going through, that look to get back to work. And I wrote it earlier in the week, and I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that all of sports is watching. So there is a lot of motivation to try to get this right. And I think we've talked about maybe the players, maybe the caddies are being a little lax. It's not from a lack of trying for the PGA Tour. Yeah, they've they've tried to do everything right, and I give them I give them a lot of credit. Just here on the on the Corn Ferry tour, just to share my experience a little bit during during practice rounds. If I wanted to um, request a player, I'd go through a media official. He would either try and sequester them off, and I would have to be socially distanced from them, or better yet, he would just give me their phone number, which was great, and I could just call them and have an, an interview. These players have absolutely nothing to do once they get done with their practice round. They're more than happy to talk. Obviously, you can't have that situation on. PJ tour, you know, uh, the, you know, one of the officials isn't just going to hand over Rory or, or Tiger's phone number for you to, so you can shoot them a text or, or have a, a 10 minute conversation. Um, but they had five to seven players. I would, I'd say come through on, on Tuesday and Wednesday, they, they'd put them uh, just the left side of the scoring building at TPC Sawgrass. We're all used to, to huddling there and scrumming there with players after they finished the round of the players championship, they'd stand behind a microphone. There was probably two or three cameramen and then two or three reporters who was, who were asking them questions. And there was X's on the brick pavers where you were allowed to stand you're six feet apart. And, and honestly, it, it, it worked great. It, it really did. We were able to have face-to-face conversation with the players, even though we were six feet apart, uh, we could ask follow-ups without having to, you know, type our question and, and wait for it to kind of be lost in translation. I thought it was a great way to do it. I give the web.com, uh, tour media officials, a lot of credit for setting that up. Um, I'm just curious, is that a, is that a model that you think works? I, I mean, how many, how many media members do you feel are on site this week? Is it, is it 10 to 20 or is it, is it more than that? No, 10 to 20 is about right. And you've never been to this media center and it's a massive building. I mean, I, I do want to point this out that this is the perfect property to do this on everything about colonial is big. There's two sides of the range. It's huge. Clubhouse is big. 
I'm, I'm on a tennis court, as, as we talked about earlier. It's, it's, it's a massive tennis court. The media center is in here. So there's, there's different, there's probably about 20 desks and there's probably about 10 feet between each desk. Yeah. And same. within that, we, we are supposed to be wearing masks. So all of these things are, have been put into place and it's certainly understandable. And it, you keep going back to these protocols. And when you read those 37 pages, you think, hmm, this feels like overkill. But then you look at the big picture and it's really not. I mean, all of these things are things you have to do. No, no, it's not a best case scenario right now, the way we interact with players versus how we used to do it. I can't imagine it's going to be that way as we get further down the road. Uh, I, I also wanted to touch on, and you brought him up, and this isn't going to age well, so I apologize to Kaz right now. However, uh, privacy is heading north, man. Do you see that? Is that Tiger like Woods' past? yacht is heading north. What's that? Pat, like past Hilton Head? Uh, it, is, it is not. No, right? Last I heard, it was on docked in St. Simon's Island. And what's going to be in St. Simon's Island next week? Oh, well, it's just, it's only about a 30-minute steam up to Hilton Head. So let's let's just look at this from, from the big picture. I, I guess my question is, it, it makes sense. We could sit here and come up with 10 reasons why, yes, it makes sense why Tiger Woods would play next week. However, I keep going back to the one reason why he won't. And I keep thinking to myself, he's not going to play because he loves playing only 13 events. And this is a perfect opportunity for him to keep his schedule exactly where he wants it. So is he is he playing or is he not playing? You talked to the tournament director at the Heritage on on Again, Wednesday. this isn't going to age from. well. This isn't going to age well. You, from. All right, the deadline is 5 p.m. Friday. We are yep. having this conversation at 10.30 a.m. Friday. Yep. So apologies yep. to anyone that listens to that after that. Uh, talked to the tournament director yesterday, Steve Walmont. Hasn't heard one way or the other. There are contingency plans. Uh, again, the 10 reasons why he will. We can go through it. it would, it's exactly what he wants at tour events. No fans and very, very limited media access. He absolutely would love that. He can park the yacht right behind the 18th hole at Harbortown. It's a flat golf course. It's warm. It's a very, very good field. It's a relatively limited field considering what we're going to face over the next few weeks. All of these things can point out. He has not played since Los Angeles in February. He seems to be in, in played, very, very he good He played shape. in the match too, Rex. Don't, please, hey, don't, he, please don't forget that. Sorry, hasn't played on the PGA Tour. If what we saw in the match too was any indication – He's in really good shape, and he's playing really well, and he's swinging the ball really well. There's no reason why he wouldn't. I keep going back to the idea that he's not going to play because he didn't want to. It, I mean, I, I always thought he would just turn up at Memorial, and that'd be fine. Then he would have a decision to make on whether he wanted to play Memphis in the week leading up to the PGA Championship, which would be three starts in four weeks at the start of a, what figures to be a, a very busy fall, at, at least for him and a guy who certainly likes to manage his reps. Um, I, I, see, I, I could have seen him playing – from the fact that that Harbor Town, with the type of game that he has now, um, actually suits him really well. He hasn't played there since mm -hmm. I think 1999, um, but but still the the way he shapes the ball now, the the precision that he continues to have with his iron play, um, you would think that would actually be a good fit for him. And and I like the fact that he could, if if he did play next week, he would have a month off to kind of reassess, you know, have have hopefully four rounds under his belt, be able to see where his game was and make those necessary changes before he heads uh, into what is a, a very busy stretch. When you say that his, his yacht is, is heading North. Is he going to the travelers? And the yacht, that doesn't make any sense at all. You know how geography works, right? I don't know. I mean, Joey, Joey does, Joey does, does live in the Northeast. You think he wants to think, make things easy on, on Joey? You know, Hoffer's not near the water, right? Yeah, I mean it's. I mean Connecticut is. 
It's inland. It's the middle of Connecticut. That would be yeah. like asking if he's, if he's bringing the yacht to Orlando. Look at it in that context. Okay, but it's not like he's going to Indiana. He's sailing the yacht to Fort Worth to play Colonial. I, I really want you to think through that. All right, I'm going to need to retract that. Since, since, you're, <laughs> since you are actually, it looks like you're in a, in an umpire's chair on a tennis court. Can you, can you give, give yourself a point there? Uh, and just, again, can we just move on? All right, all right let's move on. Uh, before we do this, and, and actually I want to press you real quick. Uh, since this isn't going to age well, is he or is he not playing? After you talk to yourself in circles. I'm going to go no. Yes, I'm going to go no as well for whatever reason, and then we don't know how the yacht's going to work out. But also, so so, do you think he was just playing with everyone? Like, why would he have his yacht there? I don't know. Do you, do mean, you think his do you think his friend just like wanted to go to? He's always wanted to go to St. Simon's. He's like, hey, what what better time to go than than right now, right before this 5 p.m. commitment for the Heritage Tournament, which is 30 minutes away from here? That I, would, I that, would, that would show them. I stopped trying to get in his head long ago, a long time ago. So I have no idea why the yacht would be there if he's not going to play Hilton Head. Uh, I did want to close on this. Fam- and, and family it's a, vacation? Uh, perhaps St. Simon, uh, St. Simon's Island is beautiful. I, I did. It is. I did want to close with this, and it's a, it's a serious conversation, and but it's this conversation that the tour is starting to have. And, of course, everything that's gone over on in the last few weeks, George Floyd, police brutality, racial relations. You know Harold Varner better than I do. You you spent a lot of time around him. I felt like he came to his decision to post that letter, which is which was moving and educational and insightful in so many ways on social media last week. But I really had the feeling that he did that reluctantly. Like, I don't know how comfortable he was putting his thoughts out there and being thrust now into the role of kind of being the spokesman when it comes to police brutality or racial relations for the PGA Tour. You know him. Is that the right take? I would, I would think so. He's, he's always been reluctant. I, I covered him in college. Uh, I remember when he first got his, his PJ tour card and he was at the, uh, the, the Napa event and they brought him into the media center cause he was this rare black golfer on the PJ tour. Um, and, and he, he really didn't want to get into it. He didn't want to talk about why there's so few minorities uh, who are playing golf. He didn't want to talk about what can be done to, to kind of make it more accessible to the players. He, he really just wanted to be viewed, um, as a PGA tour golfer, did, the color did not matter. And, and talking to Joseph Bramlett uh, yesterday at the, at the corn Ferry tour event, he's one of four players of black heritage uh, on the PGA tour as, as well. And he said that, that this, this incident with, with George Floyd just kind of resonated differently. Um, he, he hypothesized that it was because we're all in quarantine. We're all on our phones. And we saw this video of a man getting murdered straight in our living rooms. It was unavoidable. You had to watch the video and it just kind of, it, it shook everyone and, and forced, forced us all to have these types of, of difficult conversations um, and, and, and protest and, and, and see that, that, that racial injustice is a real thing, that police brutality is a real thing and they're, and they're targeting uh, African-Americans. And, and so that's the conversation we've had over the past couple of weeks. And, and Harold was, was really the first, and I think he probably felt an obligation to do so. To, to answer your original question, I think I think it was important. I think he knew he was going to be asked when he got this week at Colonial, and he wanted to get ahead of it. Um, I, I think he absolutely wanted to get ahead of it, and so he he did that. And now he's had these these periscope conversations with the commissioner Jay Monahan. You've seen Tony Finau, who's a minority, who, who came out and and mm. discussed the the incident that he had. Joseph Bramlett went to a Corn Ferry tour media official and said, "I want to talk." after my first round and he spoke beautifully 
about the, the situation that's that's facing our country right now. And so I think all of these players knew the first week out um, they were going to be asked about this. They were going to need to have an, an answer that was sufficient and, and be able to have an open dialogue about it. I, I commend Harold for doing so, um, but I'm not sure how comfortable he's going to be kind of of carrying that flag moving forward as, as much as the PGA Tour might might want him to. No, and it's and I kept coming back to this question, and I asked the commissioner when he had a conference call with us earlier in the week, and I don't know that there's an easy answer because I, I you hear it a lot that you can say all of these things, but what can golf do to really help the systemic problem, which is police brutality and race relations? I, a generational mind, problem, exactly. And I don't, I just don't know what the tour can do. However, just talking with the commissioner, talking with Harold about it, the one person that stood out to me, in, for in, oddly enough, was Rory who just said it, it can ha- golf can be the conduit to help educate each other. It, at least we understand each other a little bit better. And I wrote a column about it. And you know me, I do not interact with people, with the folks on social media. That's not what I do. I don't interact with you, you, you on never, social media. You never looked a crazy person in the eye, ever. By the way, I totally got called out by Lee Westwood yesterday. I don't know if you saw that. I saw that with the world rankings. Wow. He has really beat me up. And all I did was report a fact. It's the strongest field of the year here at Colonial. I'm sorry that they're not, playing in europe right now getting points i apologize that's not my i didn't Lee, you can play on the pj tour if you want to you were he had you were an invitation here you were actively deciding against so yeah no i but to get back to my point uh someone sent me an email about the an email about the column i wrote and he wasn't very happy with it and i normally don't interact because i just don't feel like there's anything to gain from it but i he took the time to find my email and wrote this big long uh response back to me and so i felt compelled to write something back to him and he got back to me immediately and said, I see your point of view. I appreciate you taking the time. Let's play golf when you're in Pennsylvania next time. And I thought to myself, Rory's right. Because if we can just talk and have a conversation that even this yeah. gentleman who clearly didn't agree with me and I probably don't agree with him, we're probably going to play golf in Pennsylvania in a few weeks. What, what course? Uh, I don't know. I, it, uh, I'd have to look that one up. It, I'd look forward to it, though. I just want to go play golf. No, I, I, think, I think the larger point re- remains, and Joseph Bramlett really hit it on the head, is that we've needed to have these types of difficult conversations. We've needed to have this open dialogue. We've needed to admit that this is a problem. We can't bury our, our heads in the sand any longer. I don't think anyone has a, a viable solution right now. I think everyone just feels hurt and they feel frustrated. Um, and they, they feel like change, like change needs to happen. I'm not sure if anyone um, knows the direction it needs to head. I think we have a, an aspiration for what we'd like to see happen. Um, but I think at least just acknowledging the problem is, is the first step. And that's a step that, that is, that has played our country for, for decades, if, if not longer. Uh, very well said. How many times in the podcast do you think you've touched your face? Zero. No, no, no. I've counted. I, I've been keeping a, a running tally here. Would you I like to not, guess? I, I swear I have not. Twelve, I've, I've been drinking. I've been drinking from my times. Yeti. No, no, no. I've been drinking from my Yeti. Face. Twelve times. So don't lecture the tour players. About grabbing a club and not I have not the flag. touched my face. I've counted them. They're, they're, I have it right here on the computer. I made a point of sitting here and counting these. Where did, I, where, where did I touch? What did I touch? Your nose, your eyes. I'm pretty sure at one point okay. you grabbed your ear and dug something out of it. It's disgusting. I, I, I had a, I had a nose itch. I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> just, just to be clear, I didn't stick my finger up my nose. I, I'm not passing judgment the, on what you might have done. I'm just pointing out that you touched your face. Uh, 12 times my point once you go once you go back to your tennis match my point to this being that let's give the tour players a, 
a little bit of slack. This is learned behavior. It's going to take them a little while. Next week, more golf. How about that? We're going to talk about more you're going, golf. You're going, to, you're going to Hilton Head. I'm going to Hilton Head. Uh, and we'll with have, or without Tiger? We'll have Will Gray at the Corn Ferry Tour event. Actually, I think I'm meeting him in St. Simons Island and getting on privacy and steaming up the rest of the way. He's, no, he's going, picking me up in Dallas on the boat, and he's going to take and me up the rest and then of the way. And then you're going straight to the Travelers in, in Hartford. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for this Golf Central Cop podcast presented by TaylorMade. We'll see you next week. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz & Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.